0: Welcome to Singled Out, the ninth best guild ball podcast. Please stand by. Welcome to episode 31. In this episode, Andrew and Jason talk to Shawin, the lead fiction writer for Guild Ball. We discuss Theron's origin story, and the hunter's fluff in detail. What is love?
1: Hello, welcome to Singled Out, the 17th best Gilbert podcast. Um, I'm Andrew. Jason, you can talk now. Uh,
0: I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> seamless, seamless. Seamless. Do you want to redo that bit?
1: No, this is comedy gold now. Move on.
0: Oh, all right. Uh, I'm Jason, as always, and tonight I am enjoying a lovely cup of English breakfast tea by Twinings. And it's lovely, and it's brown with milk in it, and it's just perfect.
2: Show Yes, thank you for having me on the show. There is a reason he's going on about tea. It's because I pretty much drink green tea almost exclusively now. Green and, tea, uh,
0: yeah. He, yeah, yeah, This this week's flavor is coconut. I'm enjoying coconut green tea at the moment. And there was uh, rather, rather a somewhat heated debate on Facebook, largely heated because I was involved about the merits of tea and how it should and shouldn't be consumed. Something I am quite passionate about. I got some nice, uh, nice uh,
1: vanilla teas today. That's very nice. nice
0: honestly. Beer. You will make me trigger like a Jason. we go down this road.
1: <laughs> Jason Right, anyway. Um <laughs> Well that bit's gonna kick up. Yeah. No We have to sound like we're vaguely nice human beings. Um there's gotta be one podcast that's been positive. Right, um uh. so um today we're here to talk about um the fluff um that's around season three. or well, not really about the fluff in the season three book, unless um Sharon's had to mush tea and gets too loose lipped. Um we're here to talk about um, about the Hunters, Hunters Fluff, more precisely this, the sort of the um, theron the theron story, hmm. Thelon origins. Um, so, do you want to give a bit of background first of all, sharing in, is to the Hunters Guild, what they are, what they stand for, and why they play football?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so, the Hunters Guild are one of the oldest guilds in our universe. They're pretty much the first one that's mentioned uh, in terms of the oldest scripture you'd find in, in the in the actual universe itself. And not much is really known about them. They're, they're one of the first, and that's most, all that most people would remember because as time went on and civilization kind of progressed, people started living in cities instead of towns, that sort of stuff. The sort of need for hunters really kind of became very, um, they, they really became a very sort of niche kind of thing. And it wasn't too much, you know, it wasn't for too long before pretty much hunters disappear from most people's everyday lives. And the only thing is sort of worldwide kind of people know that they still exist somewhere out there in the north and in the far south, but that's pretty much it. Now, obviously we skip forward a few hundred years and uh, in the aftermath of the Century Wars we find that uh, Obulus, the uh, the main man as it were, um, gets in touch with uh, some of the hunters and manages to drag them into some games of Guildhall in the Frontiers Cup, which is to uh, give you guys context, it's season two, and that's when we first see them get involved in guild politics and guild ball for the first time. And they're since here to stay. Uh, it's something where they're no, well, now they're here; they're not going anywhere. Now it's very mysterious as to why that would be, um, because they're such a unique kind of guild. Whereas a lot of the others are much more civilized. They're really part of the uh, they're really part of the landscape. Hunters don't really work in the same way. They're kind of they're all pagans. They worship different gods to everybody else. The way they see the world is all kind of about seasons and it's about kind of, yo know, the, the sort of uh, the ascent of the sun and the moon and so on. They have two main deities they worship, the sun father and the moon goddess. And they kind of almost have this internal strife slash sort of exist in sort of this uneasy alliance between those two groups. Um Sort of reunited against everyone else around them. It's all about the sort of cycle of the seasons, that sort of stuff. So they're very different in a lot of ways. Um, but why is they're playing Guild quite so much is a bit of an unknown at the moment.
1: Yeah, I was about to ask about the whole uh, Moon and Sun thing. How much conflict is there between the groups? Because it seems to me like this could be quite, could be quite a lot. Well, it's it's
2: something where there's not open warfare or there's not open open kind of um, sort of infighting, as it were. But there's quite there's it depends on the individual. I mean, some of them will have quite a lot of enmity towards the others, some of them not so much. Um, it generally tends to be that the sort of more mercenary, sort of colder ones, unsurprisingly, tend to follow the moon goddess. Um, characters like Ygritte, for example, or um, Scather, our new character, I mean, they'll they see really sort of the worshippers' of the Sunfather as these almost kind of expendable assets kind of thing. They're the, you know, they don't really have any concern for them in the slightest. Whereas if we go to the Sunfather's people by comparison, they are much more, tend to be much more nurturing, much more caring. It's because of the way their sort of deities represent different things. Um, so that brings now on to Theron, I guess, doesn't it, really?
0: Mm. So Can Theron Origins... Oh, sorry, God. I was just going to ask um, a quick question about the Theron Origins, and I may have just interrupted you as you were just about to explain it, but I, I know obviously... Before we went too much into the story, I was quite curious if um, you're able to uh, divulge any information. Why? Because obviously the the, the the Salute limited edition or special edition model is uh, the Theron, the young Theron. And obviously the origin story is all about Theron. What, what concept came first? Was it to write the story and then someone said, I know, let's do a model? Or did the model come first and then someone say, and uh, you really need to start earning your money, write us a story? <laughs>
2: Um. <laughs> I think, I think honestly, it's uh, it's one of those story comes before the models, but but not by much. If it does, um, basically the, the Theron story, we he originally we kind of had different ideas for what we wanted Theron to be when we first started, when I first started writing season two, and the one we eventually settled on was as he is now, uh, obviously, and it just felt like it was a story that sort of burst out more from the page than yeah the sort of small amount that fits into his profile in the season two book. And it yeah. kind of it always kind of sat in the back of my mind, sort of really wanting to be told, if that makes sense. And once I had the opportunity to sort of sit down and flesh it out, um, which was pretty much sort of Christmas time last year, I, I kind of really started working on that. And, you know, it wasn't long before I kind of came to Matt and said, look, I, I wrote this thing. You know, this is, this is Theron's story. And we kind of wrote through it. And Matt at some point came back to me and said, yeah, OK, so, you know, we're going to do a show model. It's going to be Theron. And that was really cool. It was fantastic. Um, and I mean, obviously, it ties quite nicely in the fact that we have this story to go with it as well, um, which is before I revisited it and added quite a lot to the story or sort of amended it around that sort
0: of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, because I, I think, um, like, I, this, what well, was we are now about to go through the story a little bit, but some of the imagery that you've got in here is obviously a it is very, a very haunted man with a very, he uh, got one of those, do you think it's fair to say a very anti-hero story?
2: Yeah, I think so. He's, yeah,
0: he's he's not an obvious, he's certainly not an obvious hero. Um, I, I think... Like, oh, I'd say, like, when you, when uh, when we read through it, you know, it's, I can't, I really can't think of how I'm trying to articulate it, but it's that kind of iconic, kind of, someone trying to forget their past and become something else. Sort of a, re, a rebirth story, isn't it? He's, he's yes, you know... Definitely Trying to try so escape his
1: past, this PTSD, but you can't really escape who he is. Somewhere that he yeah, it's that kind
0: of thing. There's a, there's a scene in it, isn't it? Um I think it's in part four, where the uh, the three bandits come into the place where he's in, which we'll get to in a bit more detail, but like the muscle memory kicks in, and although he's gone on this journey, and it's a physical journey as well as a, a psychological journey to try and get away from his past, it's still inside him, that, that kind of martial mm. train is still there. It's how far he goes. Yeah, absolutely,
2: and it's um, he's he's not. I mean, as as we knew already from his character, his season two description, he's, and also I think we touched on it in part two. We've uh, uh, we sort of touch on he's not necessarily had. He's not a hero in the sense that he's not always been the nicest of guys. You know, he's kind of he's kind of struggled with kind of coming to terms with the end of the century wars when that happens. He's kind of struggled with vilifying the sort of enemy, um, sort of you know getting along with people, you know, he's had quite a lot of trouble in his past because of that um, you know, it, it's, it's not immediate kind of, oh, he's the good guy in all of this, you know, he's, he's a troubled individual, and I think that's why I think ultimately we see that's kind of why it fits in with the Hunters, because he does get the chance to rebirth there, and that's really it I think.
0: Yeah, because of what says, you're talking about with the, the sun and the moon, and I think looking at it from a, a critical point of view of, of the style of writing, it's so graphic and vivid and like the descriptions of the the uh, the century wars or the, the hundred years wars is so it's it's very interesting that this is twenty seven something like what is it thirty three pages none of it's about Guild Ball this is all about kind of background and it's the kind of first time for, um I, my memory's te- terrible but I think in certainly in the season one and two books is the first time we've had a real kind of first person recounting or account of what actually it was like to be on the ground sort of background zero, when the sen- when the war finished, kind of the, the desolation... Yeah, because of... the,
1: the war's kind of sort of just as over, isn't it, a little bit, really? It's kind of a background mm-hmm. to it, so it's kind of a vague, really, who fought in it, how it was like, and also even things like what the technology used in the war was kind of vague, so it's kind of good to see it all tie down a bit more. And...
2: Yeah, but It, was, it a, was a very...
1: Go on. Was it. Okay, it was, it was a very... One of the things that I had talking to people at shows for
2: most of last year was... It's, it's always cool meeting people who are interested in the world and kind of talking about it all, and especially at SteamCon as well. Um, but people had so many questions about the sort of wider world of Guild War uh, than not just related to the game. Um, this seemed like an excellent vehicle to kind of really sort of, you yeah, explore that a little bit more. Um, but it also kind of hammers home some of the point But the only other mention we really have in the aftermath of the Century Wars um, in terms of any of our books is Grayscale's talking about it, where he kind of says, yeah. oh, yeah. The, when the wars ended everyone pretty much you know collapsed down in relief you know it was this massive euphoric kind of you know victory for everybody you know that the wars were over and of course we now see that that's a very different story if you've sort of you know if you're Theron, it's not that story at all in fact and you know he's talking he's very bitter he's very jaded and he's also very confused about it all and, and yeah you know, it's it's simply not that and i think that's the first time more hopefully anyway it's it's sort of well, it sort of hopefully gets people thinking that sometimes when you sort of read something from a character's perspective, it's not absolute. You know, there's always opinions. There's always kind of their own characters kind of thoughts going into that. Um, yeah, so,
0: I, think, I was just going to say, I think Grayscales is very much kind of like the DR department for um, what a jolly good thing the war was over. And like you say, whereas Theron is actually very much dealing with it from, um, from the point of view of someone who's been in the trenches, who's been on the front line and has really seen witnessed and experienced some very horrific sights, and it's not it's not um soft focus there's no um happy ending at this point to the century wars it's not a pleasant place The the um the free free um is it the free free empire the free cities is Uh, not very isn't very free at this point (laughs) no no it's when unification doesn't
2: happen overnight and i think that's really the that's one of the things we definitely see in the Theron origin story
1: So how about we, um, do you want to go through um, the story? Because um, I think you've got so, um, a few notes, haven't you, Jason? A few questions to ask? All
0: right. One or two. One, one or two. Well, I, <laughs> I'll, I'll try not to take up too much of people's time, and it's nice to have someone on the podcast who can do some talking other than me. So, um, <laughs> but I think what I found, like, looking at part one, so the first page... The language that you've used—I mean—and I, I'd like to talk more about like the actual story itself—but the first thing that really struck me is like the language you've used. Only on page one, and like I've—I've I've highlighted it here. So you've got words like nightmare, terror, haunting, startled, desperate urgency, moonlight shining, ghostly, horrific, haunting, horrific sounds—the likes of which a man should never know but could never forget. I mean, that's just so ah. Desperate. (laughs) Like for an opening gambit to a story, there's no like um soft like panning in and there's no fluff around this. This is just this is it, you know? Yeah, it's I really wanted I I really wanted the feel with with
2: Theron to be able to immediately jump into his life. It's almost like a sharp kind of snap into this guy's life and you realise that's almost exactly how he lives. Every moment is, is you know, this every moment is that kind of what's gonna happen now. It's sort of this shock. And and that's almost it. Yeah, it's, especially with the fact that he's literally just waking up from a nightmare as well. There is all literally just sharp
0: focus. He's kind of got that very kind of PTSD, kind yep. of no, nothing is relaxed. And then like two-thirds of the way down the page, there's almost a light-hearted sentence that you've put in there. Although it's not light-hearted, it's, it's kind of such a throwaway comment that he's put, and you put it on a single sentence, and it just reads, at least he hadn't soiled himself this time. <laughs> Like so, this this guy is in this environment, in this situation where he's having this incredibly vivid, horrific nightmare reliving the <coughs> past, and but he hasn't shot himself.
2: Yeah, definitely. I did a lot of, um, I did quite a bit of research, kind of sort of soldiers and uh, PTSD and stuff for this one, make sure I was kind of hitting the tone right. And uh, I think I think that's quite a common sort of trope, isn't it, in fantasy? Well, in in people's minds anyway. I don't know if it really encroaches into fantasy literature very much, but um, it's more of a sort of contemporary warfare kind of thing. But uh, certainly I think that's... I mean, it wasn't necessarily... It's sort of dark humours like that is... I think that's part of how the story is because it, you need to have something, kind of just this unrelenting horror or this misery as it were. Well. But um, I'm glad that you found some enjoyment out of
0: <laughs> misfortune there. Well, it's, you know, it's just a little bit of dark humour in there. And like, so... So for people who haven't read it, so part one's basically quite. It's a relatively short part compared to some of I mean, I printed it all out, and it's like two two pages and four lines. But it's all very much sort of setting the scene of where he is. It's like, like you said, it's snapping into the world where he is. Um, like I said, the the descriptive words you've used on the first page alone just set this kind of nightmare environment and that his own. And then um, it's all sort of like him. Like uh, there's a paragraph about what he sees in himself, and obviously the the images that he sees of himself in the mirror are uh kind of I I take it and correct me if I'm wrong here. It's almost a reflection of what's going on in the world outside. Because it says like when he looked up, he saw a reflection of himself staring back from the window glass, even as a distorted, Im- distorted image, a crack running over the surface and through his hairline. It's like, so society's got cracks in it now. His face looked gaunt and tired, and it's just almost like everybody. It's a reflection of society in itself at this point i mean i don't know how far from the mark i am with that but no it's it's yeah it's a fairly good interpretation I mean, we kind of see that
2: later on in the story so as mm-hmm. we then sort of progress on so part one obviously that's when we sort of step
0: outside as it were and see that actually happening in the world so that's it's a good reading so the other thing um that i, I wondered about this is how you, how did you decide the parts as you go on because so like i say, part one's quite short so we're now on to part two but they don't go so it, it's not like Part two it's immediately sorry, so excited. I'm being a fanboy. I can't get my words out quick enough. Uh, part two isn't like straight on from part one, is it? It's no, it's there's no kind of um, you don't get like a ten minutes late or whatever. It's at a point in the future, fairly soon afterwards. But maybe it's not like do you know what I mean. Like part one, boom, part two. Yeah,
2: the the only time I think we have that in the series is part three and
0: four. Uh, where yeah, it's almost sort of the next day. It's yeah. <laughs> um, but part three and then the curtain comes down and then the curtain comes up in the morning. I think I think it was in terms of sort of how to divide them up, it was it was more what felt
2: organic. It's each of the parts I kind of wanted to approach and tell a different sort of aspect or a different story of almost you know, use him as a vehicle almost to explore a little bit, have some fun and kind of you know, as well as telling his story. So it was more sort of organic to where we were getting with and there's there's generally tends to be a sort of subplots in most of the stories that you know there's what you know they're telling some sort of something about the world, and I think genuinely it's the first part's really an introduction. It almost didn't feel like it wanted to stay, you know, it overstay its welcome. It wanted to kind of come home, sort of succinctly, this is the world now, and then sort of you know give us a platform to move on from. Um, and then the others kind of which sort of snippets like right, grab them and use them to demonstrate a point or to use them to sort of progress his storyline as well as something else and then sort of you know really also let people get yeah, a feel for what it is and come to their own conclusions and think about what's going on that sort of stuff
0: yeah I think and I think you've done that very well in part one like you say it's short it's like this is our protagonist this is Theron this is how he sees himself this is where environment that he's in it's like a desperate band of stragglers who are just spending a night together and then one by one they get up at their own pace and go their own separate ways, never to be seen again as like he's in a room with two other people, doesn't even know who they are and he's not interested as such yeah. any more than he'd expect them to be interested in who he was. The fact is that they're alive or maybe oh. more. Um, yeah, so then we move into part two and then this is where, you know, again, bang, straight into the action with like you've got this gang of youths which is like pulling down a statue. And uh, oh, I don't know. Part one still. Uh, you uh, jumped backwards. <laughs> what, sorry? Part one
2: still. You jumped backwards.
0: Oh, have I? What? Part oh, two Jason. where it says smash it down, smash it down?
2: You had one job. Part, part two. Uh, sorry, that's part one.
0: Is it? Oh, I've part, got it part, as yeah,
2: part, No, no. Part two is uh, part two is where we find ourselves in the forests with uh, in the winter. See? Where he's around campfire
0: with the others. I do apologize. I printed it off at work and uh, I <laughs> I took the title Revile and Part Two, and I've put it in too early. Have I? So actually, Part One is longer than I thought it was. Yeah, it's it's still shorter than the rest. It's. Uh... Uh, Apologise. Yeah, I can see where the actual break is now. Where I printed it off. See, I told you this is uh, this is. There's no professionalism here. <laughs> <laughs> Just because
1: there's doubt there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: through, through the magic of editing, Andrew will do a better job of making me sound intelligent than I can. I'm not a good.
1: Well, it... If if you want, we can
2: uh, sort of skip forward a little bit. You know, we can say, well, you know, we jump straight to the action as part of start two, and we kind of have that camaraderie again between the people sitting around the fire, and that's where you go,
0: Jason, run. Okay, so I oh. apologise to anyone who's listening to this and expecting to take some nuggets of information. You, you, you won't, as long as I'm talking, you just won't. Okay, so carrying on from part one, then. So, uh, okay, right. So then you've got this scene then where they're um, he's in, he's now in a in a in a, in a a hamlet or a village or a town and you've kind of got kids pulling down the statue that's all part of part one still right he's in uh, one of the smaller towns in uh Fever, yes yeah and so then that's kind of is that meant to be sort of a metaphor or, or an image of how just society in itself being pulled down you've got a statue which is like obviously it's standing there it's been standing tall and proud for however long but now as a result of the war and everything's gone everything's just falling down and being pulled apart by the everyone around it but it's
2: i think there's that too but it's it's also a very um obvious or physical kind of manifestation of what's going on the, the traditions are being literally pulled apart by the world um, By the way, that, the way that the Empire Three Cities is now, everyone's in a political union they never were before. And we have quite a few things there, you know, that's like got the youths pulling down the statue and sort of destroying that. That's really an old war hero and what they represented, that's gone now. And we kind of have the older sort of, you know, the elderly woman kind of saying, you know, we need to stop this. Um, but in the same breath, we're saying we're all on the same side. So she kind of gives this this level of uncertainty as to what's going on. On the one hand, she's saying, you know, tradition says that we should keep this stuff here. But at the same time, don't you realise we're all on the same side? You know, and even she's uncertain. It's it's definitely that's the way that the society and you know the various different people are feeling. There's this great sense of uncertainty going on. And of course, we've got Theron in for all of this. He's just rejecting. He doesn't want to hear it. You know, for him, the war is never really finished. He's still kind of you know he's on his own. He feels like he's isolated. He doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere now. That's basically what the end of the war means for him. So he's just soldiering on. He's just marching through territory, He's trying to find anywhere that would just be leaving alone, so he can get on with life. Yeah,
0: because he's got the. It doesn't it just. She tugs at his arm to try and get his attention, and he just doesn't want any part of it. You know, you obviously got that very strong image of him just about to brush her away, and he turns around. He's about to strike her down or strike down this person. Doesn't know who it is, and he realises actually just a he stops himself and realises, you know, that, that bit of humanity in him takes over and he doesn't do it. Yeah, it's,
2: I think it's more so much, it's, yeah, it, that's pretty much where Theron is coming from, isn't it? He's just so tired of everything, he just wants to be away. And, yeah, I think he's not a bad guy at heart, he's just a troubled guy. So he's not about someone who's not felt on a woman in the face just to get away from her. Whether um, you could sort of approach that and say perhaps he just realises he's stronger and he doesn't need to do that. It depends really where you sit on who you think Theron is as a character. And yeah, that's that's another one that's open to interpretation. With all of the characters in Guildcore, it's a case of finding who you think you know, where you think they sit, sort of yeah, you know, on the morality scale. Well are they a good guy, are they a bad guy? Yeah, it's entirely up to you guys. Yeah, I like it, it's very
0: good. Do you have anything to add to that bit, Andrew, or should we actually go to part two? <laughs> go on then, Go on. <laughs> so part two. Right, so part two, yeah, so part two we get an actual a named character right at the start. Because I, I mistakenly at first, I thought the hag might actually be a hag from the fisherman, but it's not, is it? It's just a hag, because it's yeah, just, I it's not the same hag, because it's a lowercase h, not a capital h, and whenever you put a character's name, even if they've got like a descriptive name, it has a capital letter, obviously, because it's a name. That's just basic English. Off quality notes, off quality notes there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah, so... so uh, sure. Mugger. Sure, yeah. Is Mugger is being introduced.
2: Yeah, muggers he's, he's an interesting character. He's hes really just a sort of old, he's an old nervous soldier. He's just a character who's, he, he's a good example of somebody else who came out of the Century Wars and went a different way to Theron. Yeah, Theron's this very jaded sort of you know, battle-hardened final warrior. Mugger's more your everyman kind of character who just, he just, yeah, he's part of the fighting, he's caught up in it, but his answer is just to get drunk and just to kind of, you know, keep his head down that sort of stuff whereas we know that from past experience that Theron was fighting for centuries. yeah he kind of he never stops uh, whereas mugger is one more of those kind of uh, sort of soldiers in we don't really know why it is that mugger can't go home we don't really know you know perhaps here's a backstory that he's a deserter that's probably most likely he could be that he's a thief it could be that he you know he did something that vilified him at home and he's not welcome anymore we just don't know um, but of course we' meet other characters going on this one as well and I think they all represent different aspects of The soldiers, because we talked, we already alluded to that in the first story that, yeah, there's, there's a whole kind of almost class of soldiers are just disowned by the states, um, and they're just wandering, which is definitely where Theron belongs. And I think in this part, we really see all of these different characters kind of come to, yeah, well, all of these different sort of aspects come to life through the various different characters. So we see, um, Pharaoh, who's this very nationalistic, quite horrible little man, you know, who kind of, um, who just wants everybody to just really, Kind of, yeah. You know, he just want, he, he wants to blame everybody else for the end of the, you know, for what's going on with the war. He kind of he's very much sort of this aggressive, yeah. You know, doesn't know what to do with that anger, um. Yeah, it's you know, everyone's a thief. Everyone's wrong. Even you know when they've been so kind as we find out, sort of share things with him, you know, share food with him or shelter or anything else. He's just very ungrateful about it. All. He just brushes it off. Um, yeah. Then we have sort of the old sort of wildly wise kind of thing. We have um, the scolded cavalryman, who's obviously yeah. just, yeah. You know, he's he's much more your sort of more. You know, down to earth kind of character, such a thing as possible. Who actually seems relatively well adjusted, but as a dark edge. We don't know what's going on with that. So, yeah, it's and obviously Mugger is just part of that. And
0: Athena, who we find at the end, she's definitely that. Fits into that also. So, so I think we save Athena for a bit more. We'll get onto her in a second because she's quite an integral character to this story. I think isn't she? And certainly in part three. Uh, Apart, mm. yeah, parts. I don't even know what the parts are anymore. I've just put them in wherever yeah. I feel like. It. <laughs> yeah, I've just, just. you should send this over to me for editing beforehand. I'll turn it into some Tarantino Pulp Fiction esque story. Yeah, all over the place. It's, um, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah Ena. Okay, cool. I mean,
0: Athena I has been more of a role me. than the rest. Yeah, yeah Athena so, has been more more than the others. So. right here we go. Yeah, so Athena comes in at the end, doesn't she? So, so the group disbands. They go their separate ways, and uh, Theron's walking up. So, yeah, here we go. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> yeah, so he resumes his path northwards because he's carrying on north just because he's basically, he's, I don't know if it's in this part, but some part he says, like, he's just heading north because he hasn't been there, so why not go there? Well, it's,
2: again, we we know that Theron is, is trying to find some sense of acceptance.
0: And- yeah. Yeah,
2: it's, if he's not found it so far away, he's been in the south. So why not go north? Almost, it's you know, it's kind of I, we have the sense that he's running away from something, um, or alternatively, he's just moving away from the places that he knows. Um, you know, hoping that he can find some sort of some salvation in a sort of remote wilderness, maybe. But,
0: yeah. Yeah. So at the end of this part, so as he's about to walk off, obviously this woman comes up, um, and she sort of she almost imposes her decision. On him that they're going to travel together. He doesn't ask, he's just like, yeah, yeah we're going to travel together, we're going to go together. And he oh, can't find a bit, but he likes that, doesn't he? And so they go off together and then fill, fill so in the like, trying to find the point. Yeah, it's cool. So he's. Oh, Athena, yeah, no,
2: Athena, Athena represents an interesting part of their on in this story in that she's his salvation in his eyes. Yes. So uh, uh, we, we find you. out, well, we're going sort of into part three now, we we'll find out a bit more about Athena. Um, yeah, you know, he, he almost becomes, you know, she gains his confidence relatively quickly. And, yeah, he kind of realizes in Athena he sees a character who's not this sort of downtrodden kind of, um, sort of mercenary soldier. Because we find out that he was very, as much as obviously that's who, who Theron is, we know this, especially in part four where he kind of, yeah, you know, as you said earlier, he sort of, the combat training kicked in. Um, you know, he doesn't see her as this killer like all of the others. Yeah, he kind of sees her as this, he obviously almost puts her on a pedestal, this kind of character who's, you know, who, he's, he, she's his time's redemption. He sort of sees, you know, if I can make friends with you, if you can be relatively normal in this crazy world, then perhaps there is a chance for me. And that's who it is. And of course, we find out in part three, you know, no one escapes from the Century Wars unscathed. And we find out Athena, as much as you know, outwardly, she seems to be this quite bubbly, quite friendly, quite open human being. She's, she's actually really scarred. Possibly even just as much as Theron by the end of the Century Wars, because she's witnessed a horribly,
0: yeah, this horrific kind of scene so, in um, what she was doing. Before we get too far into that bit, I did a, a little bit of Wikipedia research because I knew the name Athena, I couldn't remember what, exactly what it st- stood for. But Athena is in mythol in Greek mythology is the goddess of wisdom, craft, and war. Was that? Did you choose the name after the character? Is it related to the fact? Because obviously you've got war in it, the Century Wars. I mean, I'm assuming it's not a complete coincidence. And I just wondered if you, you took that name and gave it, created the character around that and then put her into Theron's story, or if you had the character first. I guess in a way, you yeah. may have discussed this before about character creation. Did the character come and then the name, or did you have the name and what you wanted it to be, and then fluff the character out into the story? That's
2: a good question. Uh, I think uh, kind of a combination of both. Um, I definitely knew that I wanted to be I had the name and it. it was always Ian masters one that I thought fit into my universe quite nicely. Um it's really kind of a case of finding the right character to use it for. Um, and I think she does, I think she represents the name quite well. I think you need to do a bit more digging because you haven't quite found the, the uh this sort of um, inspiration behind there just yet.
0: But yeah, that's definitely there. Go on, then, give him a hand. What well, I was going to say, I, is I, that linked into part five? Uh, no comments. Because there I, is a there I'm is saying nothing, Jonathan. There is. I'm saying nothing.
2: <laughs> Athena is a character who yeah, it's you can sort of read into it as what you want, but I mean the, the interesting thing about the goddess Athena is that she was obviously not just a Roman god, a goddess, she was a Greek one as well. And yeah. through very and most of the European, you know, sort of the pantheons had an Athena character or somewhere related to that. So as a result, the interpretation always changes slightly. And with all of our characters who are, are sort of find inspiration there, here and everywhere, we never sort of completely wholesale pick it up and keep it exactly as it should be. There's, all, there's always some sort of quirk or change, or there's always depending on what reading you have of her or of any of the characters. So I think, again, Athena, I mean, obviously, we uh, we know from the events of season four, she's out there in the world somewhere. You know, she's, she's not, uh, you know, she hasn't died. She's not, you know, she's, she's left there on a bit of a spoiler for those who haven't read it and are sort of, you know, doing that now but um we know that there, that she's out there somewhere um we also know that shana you know perhaps she
0: doesn't represent what theron first thought she was so yeah um so a bit more on part three and so obviously part three is is a very it's that they find um a, a cabin a log cabin essentially or a a brick structure in the um in the woods on their journey and they sort of stack up into it and the idea that being that they're going to sort of spend a bit of time, nourish their bodies as such, have a bit of a break from everything that's going on outside before they continue on their journey, right? So yep. as you alluded to, this is where we find out a bit about Athena and this is where we get a link from another character who we already have in Guild Ball and uh, they're interjected into this story as well. Because I messaged you the other day when I read it, I wrongfully assume because it references the, the, the rat catcher. And I'd been talking to someone about SteamCon uh of last year and so for some reason I thought of because of the Rat Catchers Girl, but obviously that's actually Compound.
2: That's his nickname from the Century Wars. It's yeah, mm. yeah.
0: not a very nice man. Um, you no. Know, and uh, his part in her story and her history is really quite horrific. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh yeah, she's
2: I mean it's again, that's a that's another one where it was a very useful vehicle to kind of flesh out you know, to flesh out part of our universe that we'd sort of hinted at but hadn't really run with yet. And I think it fits quite well um, So, in a way that it sort of, you know, pushes forward a bit more character development for poor compound. But, well, poor compound is not a very nice guy. But um, at the same time, it also kind of really fits, well, I feel anyway, maybe perhaps your listeners don't, but it fit quite nicely into the universe to kind of sort continue on that story arc and really sort of, you know, bring to life Athena's struggle in the Century Wars.
0: Is it... And then as this this part progresses further, obviously, well, not obviously, but people who have read it, Um, uh, Athena and Theron, they have a little chat. She opens up about her story, tells a story about Compound, or not Compound, but about what happened to um, the place where she was, which I did highlight because I can't remember the name, and you'll remember it uh, a lot uh, on, So they're getting a bit closer. They talk about their past together, and he asks her where she comes from. And then, because uh, th- this is the moment where they're about to sort of have snooze snooze. They're getting a bit close. They're letting their clothes dry off. Things are getting heated. Should, th- should Thames come on on the gramophone? And then um, <laughs> and it, just before things get a bit sexy, it's almost like Theron suddenly becomes very awkward and uncomfortable about things because he, he asks her, where did you come from? She's, uh, she grins. She says, that's an odd question to ask a lass at a moment like this. I think the time for clever lines to bait your lure has passed. And so she's quite forward and still about the situation, and he sort of stutters and just—he says just, just. I thought to ask us all. I know nothing of you really, and um, it's sort of uh, what do I put. Oh, I can't even read my own handwriting. So a bit I can like help you know, yeah. Please do because I've made notes and I can't even read the damn things. It's,
2: I think I think in that you've got two characters who have very different outlooks as to where they're at, and I think that's. As much as we obviously have salvation from, or hope for salvation for Athena for Theron, that's obviously not where she's coming from at all. If we look at Athena, I mean, she's keeping everything on the surface in terms of she's, she's you know, no one's allowed in almost past her wall. She's kind of, you know, she's bubbly, out she's outwardly bubbly, she's kind of friendly, flirtatious, she's kind of very outgoing, very extravagant, kind of busy to who I am. And, you know, she's not letting anyone in, you know, almost, that's her armour. And so... For her, kind of that moment is her just carrying on with things, living in the moment and being the wild child almost or just just you know, going from one moment to the next. Whereas for Theron he's kind of his searches almost for deeper meanings at this stage in his story. He's kind of yeah, he's been done with that from the war. He's even jaded by that living that way. He's kind of looking for, for this character anyway, trying to get to know her more. He's kind of opening up towards her and it's obviously yeah, and he, he sort of he manages to draw her into that. He manages to get her to open up a little bit. And of course, once the sort of you know, once the first crack appears, suddenly the whole damn bursts, and she literally tells him everything.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think
2: that's that's a real turning point for her character, because obviously, as we go into part four, which is probably around right about now is the best time to do that. He, she kind of, we find that she can't deal with it. Yeah, you know, she she's done that, and the aftermath of that is she realizes this sort of you know, horrific kind of, you know, I can't exist. you know, you know my secret, and this her sort of sense of sort of survivor's guilt, this kind of self-loathing born from that kind of. I don't want you around because you're just going to look at me differently, you'll treat me differently, and that's not what I want. I just want to be who I was before, and I can't be that around you anymore. Which, obviously, it's heartbreaking for Theron. Yeah,
0: because this is the first time in the uh, 20 or so precluding pages that Theron's found any sort of... Or, or, like, on his quest to find peace and some sort of meaning, he found it in this person, Athena, and they they share a moment. They become as close as two people can become, and then... It's gone without, like, part four, as you say. This is, as we discussed earlier, it's the only part where the two parts roll straight into each other, both literally and metaphorically. And um, then uh, it's gone. This thing that he had, his little oasis, his little kind of meaning and sense of belonging has been taken away. And now he's got, it's like the light that was the darkness has gone and the darkness has come flooding back and and he's got to deal with that. And so he goes charging out, was not he, into the woods and... Smashes a tree to pieces with his rusty axe and just goes back mental.
1: What we really need in this game is basically a counselor's guild or a <laughs> guild. I'll, I'll bear that in mind, perhaps I'll put one in. You know, basically, you know, lots of couches and the pitch, just lie down and, you know, talk about your mother. <laughs> um,
2: talk, talk, talk
0: about, you know, why it is that Jason frustrates you so much. Oh, <laughs> um. <laughs> mate. There's a lot of people who'd be uh, getting in that queue.
1: I can think I half think yeah. people in ball are basket cases from the, from the war. You know, they're making up to killing, would not
0: they? Basket cases, and the other half are just, like, sleeping with each other. It's a very, like, sexy, dangerous time. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's... Yeah, these people...
2: Well, yeah, these people live on the edge. Yeah, you know, You've got to get what you can from the next month to the minute, uh, next month. It's like,
1: month uh, who is it? Um, um, Casket, who's a drugged-up uh, who drugged um, ex... Um, Zombie. Well, yeah. that is, isn't he? I mean, he's... Zombie. You know, yeah. he's basically he went a bit, he went a bit, bit that one, didn't he? He went too far, really. Well, I think yeah, in his he... case, he's more of a bobo they've they taken advantage of. But
2: yeah, it's that's one fate that could have awaited them if uh, if you go from there. Bottom
1: of a dungeon,
2: being forced to wear
1: big your yeah. back.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, just generally have your mind fractured by just an awful lot of drugs. It's such a lovely world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you love it. Listen to uh, it's, it's an eighties prog rock. <laughs> yeah a rushed chapter four is where um so say the start of it uh athena's left him he doesn't know why so um there's a line here he says just as he'd been betrayed before so he'd been again so you know he's feeling betrayed again the the, the emotions of confusion and, and desperation are starting to come back into him so then he goes back into the uh thing and uh then at one point, it as Athena was gone and with her, the final chance of some kind of acceptance in the new world. So that was like, you know, again, that's closed now, like you said. And You're then on, it goes Josh. down. To... Sorry? Let's, go your symbolism. Let's talk
2: about your symbolism in this bit. It's going to be good. It's really easy to see. Gwen, you can do
0: it. <laughs> you were so oh. good at the start, and I'm expecting you to hit me up with it again. You're so mean. I'm <laughs> oh, encouraging him problem is, I'm like, I'm like Dan Harwood was at um, SteamCon at six o'clock in the morning on the Saturday, getting me out of bed to play Guild I'm just all excited now. like I've had a rush of adrenaline, and I don't know what to do. Uh, so, 42 minutes? 42 yeah. minutes, yeah. Uh, all right, anyway, right. Uh, uh, oh, you've thrown me now. I was in full flow. You'll have to dive in. You two talk okay. for a second.
2: Okay. So, I think what we see there is, is Theron kind of... Yeah, he sees the acceptance uh, sort of slip away, basically, and... <laughs> And we see metaphorically and also, you know, physically, he kind of really retreats again, back in again. That's what he does. He kind of, looking for closure, which he just doesn't have, he kind of goes back into this old, sort of you know, run-down shack and keeps himself, you know, completely isolates himself away from it. It's what he does. Mm-hmm. um, And mind as well as kind of physically, that's what he's doing. And there's no kind of hint of, oh, I'm doing this just to get by because it's, out- it's better in here than it is outside in terms of, you know, the elements, that sort of stuff. It's really him retreating into himself again. And that's really the need that Ferron has. And of course, again, before he can get any sense of closure, he's thrown straight back into his turmoil once again when the bandits attack him. Yeah. And that we talked about earlier when we kind of have these three people and and they're not, they're even strangers. You know, there's not even the sense of, you know, they're after him in particular or anything like that. It's just almost a random kind of, you know, highway kind of bandit. That's simply that is. And of course, his training kicks in and he kills them. But this is the first time we start to see kind of a hint of, well, it's the second time actually. There's sort of a very big hint at the end of the first story about sort of, you know, looking up into the distant mountains and the tree line. But it's one of those yeah. ones, kind of, it's one of those ones where we see, you know, there's a lot. I mean, the title of it is um, Under Moonlight, and it's it's something we see a lot with, we see a lot of influence of the moon going on here. You know, we kind of see, you know, as, when he's fighting them, we kind of see the moon is illuminating the scene, this kind of sense here. And it's almost this, Especially by the end, it's quite a feral kind of fight. Yeah, you know, we kind of see lots of um, yeah. You know, it's it's kind of you've got the last character, even the last uh, assailant even tries to bite him, for example. Yeah,
0: this it, really kind of gets down to this quite feral kind of combat. And well, at the, the end, of, you've even know. got the, the fact that their weapons aren't maintained. This isn't like a um, like you say; these are just bandits guns, they're They they haven't even maintained their weapons. Although, like like Theron says in his piece. That even in this desolation, and this world and everything that's fallen apart, he's still, that military side of him still maintained his weapons.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And it's this sort of, you know, at the end of it, we kind of have this moment where he sort of stands on the threshold of, of the shack. And again, we now see, you know, he's almost part of civilization. He's kind of this moment where he's, he looks back and he sort of sees, you know, this, this shack, this shelter that's been made um which is you know obviously that's mankind that's civilization that's thing that's made and outside is the wilderness yeah you know, outside is kind of you know this desolate kind of scene where it's illuminated by the moonlight and it's just nature and he looks back and he kind of sees all these dead you know he sees his three dead bodies in this room where he's where he's been and he kind of you know he looks at the more and just leaves it behind literally just steps outside and he's gone he's into the, at that point he's into nature yeah. And I think that's quite that's quite a big telling, turning point for Theron's character as we've been going along, because that's the bit where, yeah, if, if ever there was a sort of hint that he's leaving something behind, you know, in terms of he's just given up, that's pretty much it. At that stage, he's he's almost given up on sort of civilization He kind of even looks, I think, in that.
0: Theron, yeah, like you say, so he's left it behind. He's gone into the wild now. That's his sort of final kind of step away from, not necessarily society, but just everything. He's just going now. and. Um, that's when we go into part five, yeah?
2: Which hopefully everybody's had a chance to read by now. Yes. Yeah. Um well that was very affirmative. Um <laughs> I was more thinking for your listeners, but yeah, sure. Um yeah, listeners. That's when we start. Yeah. Oh okay. So yeah, that's that's when obviously we see um that's where we're really still seeing more in a traditional hunter setting. For the first time, we kind of see him in the great forest in the north. And uh, we obviously meet Chaska.
0: Yeah, and um, Hern.
1: And Hurd, no less. You remind me because I'm not—I haven't made the Hurders fluff uh, in the main rulebook for a while. Is Chaska also a um, ex-war person as well? Yes, it's interesting.
2: Chaska is, but he's almost kind of. This is, I think, the first time we sort of see Chaska in any rule in a lot of more detail. Um, we kind of see, for example. We see he is an old soldier, or at least he's managed to find an old soldier's arm in terms of the, the gun the, the rare de- 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 Exactly, yeah, and it's 30. so so we don't necessarily know find out too much obvious information about Chaska, but if we are to look at him as an old soldier, he's almost kind of Ferron as Ferron is now a few years down the line. Um, in that he's he's kind of, you know, this this old soldier who's kind of adapted. He's kind of he's not got the same turmoil as Feron has. Now perhaps he had it in the past, perhaps he didn't. And the other thing, yeah, you know, we don't know. And and the hint also there is, is why is it that if both of them you know, are old soldiers coming to this place to kind of find some sort of ser- you know, serenity, to find some sort of escape, why is it that Theron becomes the champion of the Sun well, we know this, that's who he is, and Chaska isn't? You know, is, does that sort of point at some sort of inherent destiny with, with Theron? Does that mean that, you know, Chaska refused to call some script in some way, shape or form? These are things we don't know, but obviously we, you know, we can come to our own conclusions as to that. But we know that in terms of the grand scheme of things, as much as the hunters don't really have, um, you know, sort of ranks. Certainly, if there was to be a hierarchy, they're on this higher up. Uh, it's, I mean, Hearn's Hearn's role is that he is the eyes and the ears of his god on the mortal plane in the hunter's belief system. So when he speaks, his uh, the sort of followers of the sun father will all, you know, listen with rapt kind of attention and even the followers of the moon goddess will sort of pay, you know, give him a duty and due amount of respect because of his stature, because of his role. Um, and that's that's really what it is. So, and I think this, in a little part, this is where Theron kind of finally comes into contact with this individual. Uh, we've already known that they have some relationship in the past as in the season two book, but that's when we see the two kind of come together. I and mean, in her, and I think that's when sort of Theron finally finds what he's been looking for, or at least he finally finds someone pointing at him. So, yeah, as uh, so I'm saying, you know, this is, and again, we go back to that point in the season two rulebook where Theron isn't necessarily looking for acceptance; he's not looking for condemnation. He just wants to be on his own. And and for the first first, first time, he meets someone who says that, who's Hearn who just says,
0: "You should just be who you are," and says, "The only thing you've got to do is just sever your ties to the past." That was crippling. Yeah, and that's when um they start playing Johnny Cash, isn't it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more the last post, but yeah, whatever works for you.
0: As it, pan, as it pans out,
2: it's uh, it's yeah, that yeah, that's that's the moment where kind of they're on because the the thing the, the crucial thing with the with the standard that he's got tied at his, the sash tied at his waist, which is actually on the model. Um, for you, those of you who haven't seen it properly yet, I mean it's what's I'll talk about a little bit about the model in a second, but um, he's been carrying this thing with him as this burden for his, the entire war, and it's not just for his his sort of comrades; it's for everybody. And even after the war as well. And, in, and by kind of committing it to the flames, he's kind of really is just severing all his ties to the past. You know, it's, his, it's a symbol of his nation. It's a symbol of, his, of the conflict. It's a symbol of civilization. It's a symbol of lots of things, to the Pharaoh, And by throwing it all into the... He can basically be reborn. And he knows he's not worthy of it. It's everybody else. And, you know, I won't... Obviously, people draw their own ideas about at the end of the story. There's a bit more to it than that. But I think it's really... That's, that's when we start to see the birth of Pharaoh as we know him now and the end of this character we've become familiar with. Now, whether this will come back, who knows? I mean, obviously, it's quite a big part of who he is in his life. You know, will that potentially sort of, you know, brought back? I mean, will we see the influence of the of the moon goddess sort of come in, as we saw in, you know, season four, uh, sorry, in the fourth part of the story? It's all up there to see, you know, to sort of see how Theron's character develops in the future.
1: <laughs> but that's it. Can you um, d- discuss anything about the difference in the outlook between the two, the two aspects of the god? Well, it's, yeah, I, I can do it. So
2: at the moment, it's a sort of slightly, um, deliberately, slightly vague sort of uh, uh, approach to it. But if, if you were to think of the um, the moon goose, is very predatory. It's very kind of. It's definitely the traditional hunter you'd imagine. So it's more the sort of lone wolf, kind of soul kind of hunter out there, kind of you know sort of prowling around after the prey, very very ruthless, very cold, very kind of um, matter of facts. The wrong time looking for, but it, it's it's a very kind of um, feral. Kind of thing. Whereas the sun is more what you'd imagine, the sort of you know the stag, for example, that represents the hunters' guild in terms of what we have um, as, our, as our icon. It's it's very much like that. It's kind of much more of a noble kind of um, thing. So again, it's it's more about nurture than it is about um, sort of, you know the predatory element of it. It's understanding balance and cycles. So if we were to look at it, it's a rule of thumb, the way that the sun- followers of the sun would explain it some father kind of uh, followers would say well you know we're a big community we stick together as a pack uh we we have to nurture we have to understand that everything exists in balance um you know in the, in the sort of big divine cycle of how the world works uh whereas if we look at the uh, followers of the moon goddess that's much more of a kind of opportunistic kind of hunter
1: so you either worship one or the other you don't mean do, do both
2: well, apparently, some characters might switch align- allegiances oh, right. we
1: didn't win <laughs>
2: um but um yeah it's it's pretty much the exclusive club, um yeah certainly at any one time anyway, so that's you 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 would struggle to find a character who could worship both at the same time um properly give themselves over to the praxis of one or the other. they're kind of mutually exclusive
1: yeah i guess I guess so Once, once could have more sort of um sort of selfish isn't it um sort exactly. of,
0: um it's uh, a little yin and yang.
1: Yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah.
0: That's a good
2: description. I mean it it's the best the best way of describing I think Hearn, uh, may this may be your uh, your thing from season three book, but I think Hearn at one point says, you know, just as the sun can't share the sky with the moon. And that's pretty much it, yeah. You know, they they kind of work in a cycle, one goes up, one goes down. And it's um you know, you don't really have both in the sky at the same time properly. And that's what it is.
1: Obviously they don't have eclipses, in that land.
2: No, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> Uh, Perhaps if we did, then that would be a very big. Well, that would be that's the sort of thing that would be a very big moment for our hunters. That, that's the interesting thing about the hunters. Like, it's the small things that to another guild just seem like, oh, cool, yeah, you know, an eclipse. But to the hunters, that's that's a you know a big life changing you know event. It's that's what's so interesting to write about them because they do see things in such a different way.
1: Well, I guess they have remnants of a, of a religion that basically predates everybody else, isn't it? It's the like, um, keeping the sort of fire burning, aren't they?
0: Yes, yeah, but it is almost very. Um, it echoes kind of philosophies of paganism in a way, doesn't it? It's an old religion in a in a modern world, if you will. So it's like yeah. the transition from what the hunters with the, Earth, the moon and the, and the, the sun father um, over, and then you've got like the solstitial, which is I would take to be the more modern religion or modern in that it's new to the world. And, yeah. Um, the other religions certainly have some
2: roots in paganism, even the uh, Solfesian Church. But we've you've got that's you know since adapted. Whereas exactly as you say, the hunters are still there. So and they've never needed to move on. And to their mind, of course, they're just following the true path rather than kind of you know this weird thing that civilization has imposed upon the other religions.
1: So when so. it comes to the Solfesians, I mean, with, um, if for example you had a Solfesian and a uh, a moon worshipper. And uh, so much for walking walk to a bar. Um, <laughs> would would there be a fight?
2: Yeah, the 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 uh yeah, I think there would be. I think the uh, the moon goddess disciple would win fairly easily. Um <laughs> <laughs> would just watch the other two fight their way to the exhaustion and then beat them both. But yeah, that's that's exactly what it would be, yeah. I the, the Solfecian church tends to be quite intolerant of everything else. Um and of course the other two, the the pagan gods of the oh sorry, the pagan followers of the hunters certainly won't believe in any civilized religions, so that's that. So yeah, they're certainly antagonistic
1: to each other. It so, makes me wonder how, how old it really is. because I guess they don't, they don't really um, specify timeline, but um, you know how 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 much older it is in terms of. Um... Well,
2: we know it's we know that the Hunters Guild were around at the formation of the guilds. Uh, or if you don't know that, then you'll find that out pretty quickly in the season three book. Um, mm-hmm. So that's find- just a spoiler for
1: the show. Um, so yeah, certainly by the time, the time this, book, this, this podcast comes out, the book will be out anyway because <laughs> the book's out tomorrow morning. <laughs> Fair
2: <laughs> enough, but, th- but there's our um, but there's
1: our uh,
2: um, yeah, so we, we certainly know that they've been around since a very long time ago. So, but in terms of rough timeline, again, because all of the historical documents for the most part for the world anyway were destroyed um during the century wars, it's one pretty question we'll never know the answer to unless we kind of do a I guess, almost sovereign state's origin stories and go way, 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 way into the past.
1: That's writing genius, <laughs> saying, sorry, we don't know, sorry, destroyed, can't tell you, sorry. Genius. No, it's, it's
2: genius,
0: or so. it's left to give people their own, Yeah, you know, make up your own mind. I was um, going to ask a, a question, which is almost taking this off on a tangent a bit, but you oh, said that like part... really. I know, right? It's <laughs> like me, it's unprecedented. Um, Obviously, the, the whole... Uh, You answered one of my questions that I had. The the actual, the origin story, the Theron origin story, was driven by your own desire to write the story as opposed to, like, Matt or Rich or anyone coming to you and saying, oh, we want to do this, can you flesh it out? Are there any other characters who you can tell us about? Obviously, there's characters who aren't out yet. Is there any other character who you feel really strongly about who you would think has an interesting backstory that could require a similar level of... um,
2: That's that's like asking me which one of my kids is my favourite that's not fair
0: <laughs> <Mine is. laughs>
2: uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not as horrible as you um, I don't know I think all of them have got something to tell I mean, Rage would be an interesting one um, um, Honor is another an interesting one yeah do honor it's quite a few oh okay yeah well the Mason player says do honor um, yeah it's, <laughs> it's every night I, I think there's I think there's lots of um, I think most uh, a fair few of the characters I think could benefit from something I mean the most obvious one I think most people would want would be either Rage or Blackheart or both um, that could be kind of fun, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's again, it's it's more as inspiration will take me, really. I think um, Siren
1: Simon missed that lot.
2: Certainly, yeah. Certainly, you've got a big element of that one. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I'll, um, perhaps I'll give you a heads up in some way, shape, or form. Perhaps yeah, no, that could be. To... Yeah. Perhaps that could be a discussion for a seminar at SteamCon this year. Yeah. Who who would you like to have know more about from the past? That'd be an interesting one. So who can kill next,
1: basically? <laughs> no, <laughs> I just
2: of course, say by the time this this comes out people will already be messaging me angrily I suspect but um yeah
1: and there's quite quite a large market for backstories for mascots I think we could have a five five chapter uh, Salt <laughs> backstory I, I think we
2: could we could do a seven parts you know like a seven TV show series um, a <laughs> uh, seven season series of that I mean everyone loves Salt
1: It'd be it's, the sitcom with the Marbles game. and Salt in an apartment together in the old couple <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and Grumpy Old Rolando is the next door neighbour yeah <laughs> <a good> <laughs> Uh, anyway, we're well off. Oh, so we're well off on a tangent now. Bad, Jason.
0: Yeah, thanks, Jason. Well, I know. Well, you're the guys that started talking about mascots. I mean, I was just going to also ask, like, hey, because we obviously by the time this comes out, some people have the rule book, but we had the um the video clip from uh Rich looking through the book, and it's obviously quite quite a bit thicker than the other two, if not the same size as the other two put together. So you've obviously, and I, I suspect a lot of that is is story, right? A lot of it is story. I'm, I'm looking at it literally in my in my hands now. Um,
2: it's just under double the size of the season two book. It's a big yeah. It's a, a lot of it is story. There's uh, to give you a context. So season two had uh, a five part story arc in it. Uh, season three has twelve parts. I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's 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 a lot more. Um, plus, also of course, we've got new character profiles for um, everybody. So. Even if a guild isn't in the main story arc, there's something in there for them, for uh, you know, for their characters. It's it's not like everybody exists in isolation. So, um, yeah, it, it's
0: it's been a lot. It's been a lot of fun to work on that. Um, yeah, I'm hoping so, everybody's it Do you get given quite a lot of free reign to just go with it, or do because I know we've obviously discussed how the Theron story was written? That was your own idea, but do you like? Do you and say, Matt, or I don't know who you interact with predominantly within the company for that side of it, but do you sit down and they sort of say, right, we want to go down this avenue. Can you write this, this on this? Or do you have like brainstorming sessions or do you just sort of do a bit, hand it over? They say yay or nay. I mean, how how do you go about writing something as deep as, as the as the world that Gilball is becoming?
2: Well, everything is collaborative. Um yeah, there's, there's no, again, it's, I've said this too much already, but, but none of us really work in isolation from each other in the design team. Um, so it, it's, yeah, we all kind of work at various different things. And I think there's lots of elements that sort of, yeah, we all kind of bounce off ideas at of each other. And, and perhaps the Theron model is a great example of that. I mean, obviously there's a story driving, you know, there's a story somewhere along the way driving, driving the fact that we want this model to exist. But of course when Russ sculpts it, he kind of you know, he and I have quite a good dialogue about how the model perhaps should look in terms of, you know, how to add on different sort of um, character bits, like the banner tied to his waist, that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, there's lots of elements there and of course if that's for a new model then that crosses over into the rules as well, and that's where I'd sort of speak to Jamie and Bryce and some of the other guys about kind of, you know, how does the mo- how, do- how does the model feel in terms of his character? versus its rules, you know, do I need to change the way the character is? Do they need to perhaps look at rewording some of the abilities on the card, on the card that sort of stuff? Yeah, it, it, there's lots of different things that all kind of tie into each other. In terms of the actual world itself, I mean, obviously everything tends to, well, in fact, everything runs through map, because that's how it works, but at the same mm. time, yeah, there's quite a lot of, there's quite a lot of, um, there's an awful lot of kind of, in that moment, but everyone throws things in, and Jeremy tends to come out and yeah, that's that's pretty much it, really. It's all collaborative. There's never as much as I might be the guy that writes the, I might be the guy that writes the stories. I might be the guy who writes the bios and so on. And Jamie, for example, and Bryce might make the rules. Russ sculpts it. There's elements of all of us in that. So,
0: do you, did the um did like the events of the uh, the world finals affect the storyline in any way, or if you cannot cannot say,
2: uh, I can certainly tell you there's parts about the world finals. on you
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. There, There's,
2: there's. Well, presumably, by the time you've, listened, you've this, you this guts out, you'll have read that bit. But there's certainly parts in the book about that.
1: So yeah, with Obulus versus his three evil twins.
2: <laughs>
1: Obulus, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's Obulus. Yeah, it's
0: certainly
2: you can find you can find it if you look for Obulus. You won't find that part very far away.
0: So, okay. Yeah. Very good. Very interesting. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the origin story. I mean, that's why I was just wondering if there was going to be anything. More along. I those
1: hope so. One more stories, really. I think um, it's, it's great having everyone so psyched for a book every year for fluff alone. I mean, even even though the rules are all you know all available with cards and everything else, phasily, I think you know I'm really looking forward to reading through the, the story as fast as I can, and hopefully you'll write more. That's
2: that's um, been really. It's been really humbling, actually. I've got to be honest. The amount of people who are so excited for the book because a lot part of what's in there is. Is honestly is the story because, as you said, the rules are out there already, uh, the cards are out there already for the most part. Yeah, some people obviously want <laughs> tweets, to it, but that's it, isn't it? But Yeah, it's a lot of part of it is the story, and it's it's really nice to the people who kind of you know, take the time to, to actually really enjoy it. Um, yeah, it's, it's very humbling. So we have the greatest community.
0: I know Martin um, wondered if there was going to be a more digestible format like pictures because he struggles with it, <laughs> like
2: a flipbook. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, it will be right. about four times the size of the actual rule book, but yeah, it's, uh, no, no, part at all. I've never, well, it's interesting to say I've that. never dreamed
1: of closing. Because so. like the artwork is pretty, is, is quite, um, it's quite stylized to a point where even, even now, it might, it might change season three, but even, you know, season one or season two books, you have no idea even what the stadiums, stadiums are like because the sort of pictures of the matches, the stadiums are kind of like sort of broad brush strokes and it's kind of, kind of, um, silhouettes and you know, it's, it's quite, um, it's kind of artistic, but actually, even even now, you have little idea what the games actually look like. Does that make sense.
2: Yeah, I do. A lot of the Guildhall universe is designed to be evocative over everything else. It is.
1: It is. Yeah. And and,
2: that's, and it's part of it. The ones I, the sort of things I find most interesting is, is when we see people discussing you know the world of people was we've created. And it's really interesting seeing people's different ideas. Like I, I remember, I haven't seen it for a little while, um, but I know it. Will, I know it comes up sort of uh, every so often. Is people discussing what a Guildford Stadium looks like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really a, interesting. A that, or... Yeah, you've got it. And it's really interesting seeing the amount of, yeah the sort of varied replies that come back because, and all of them are equally valid uh, because we've got a very large world that has lots of different locations and lots of different climates and all sorts. But at the same time, it's it's almost not necessarily as important. And that's why I've never I never. Very succinctly describe a stadium or a place very much in, in the Gilbert universe because I think it's much more it's much more powerful to people to kind of get their own ideas of what they want it to be. Even the shack we were talking about in in um, their Own Origins uh, that Jason was talking about, yeah, you know, in his head that shack looked one way. Yeah, you know, I don't really want to enforce upon Jason sort of you know when he's reading it. This is how exactly how it looks if exact in every exact detail. It was much well, better otherwise. Yeah, so. yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's it's more about you know people having their own ideas and how it all fits in. And I, I think that works more. I think that's a stronger approach than describing something. Exactly.
0: It's very true. Cause like you say, it's, it, it's nice to be able to interpret it in, in, a, in your own way. Yeah. I, I think that's it. I think that's a very good idea. I think it's very strong. And thank you for the compliment, Andrew. I, I can read. <laughs> <laughs> I may not it's really be able to, yeah. I may get a little oh. bit excited and fall over my own feet sometimes. But... Well, I'm glad you
2: guys enjoyed Theron Origins in any case. And, uh, yeah, it's it's been a, it was absolutely
0: fast
1: running it. So, and uh, yeah, Salt Origins will be out by by SteamCon, which is good to know. Oh, uh, yeah, that's that's, well that's, that's really good. Thanks doing. for um, having me, guys. So we're going to see you in a few weeks of Vengeance, aren't we? I guess you are.
2: I'm um, struggling with my uh, with my new hunters, or alternatively, probably uh, going. Uh, which is my brewers again?
1: Bring them out, you know. I think. Um, I think a tournament think? like that would be a good way of getting them stress tested. Okay. Well, that,
2: um, we'll see see if i'm still scratching my head and not quite i'm 100 sure on how to use them i'll uh
0: i'll go back to my brewers but we'll see
1: i'm andrew uh follow me at single underscore gb
0: uh i'm jason and it's at j mountain 82 and at least on twitter i've only got 140 characters <laughs>
2: <laughs> thanks i'm sure thanks for having me guys um hopefully you guys all enjoy the uh season three stuff and uh hopefully you enjoy feral origins and um yeah um Use your channels to talk to me, I guess. I uh, that's
1: stuff. Thanks. All right. Thank
2: you. Bye. 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 Bye.